Hey guys, thanks for listening to this message from Soli Church. Our prayer is that this message would be a blessing and resource for you. But no sermon or podcast can ever take the place of being connected to a local church. If you're in or around the Ventura County area, we would love for you to join us. You can find when and where we are meeting by visiting solelychurch.com. S-O-L-I church.com. Rest in Jesus, Christian. may be seated. And as you are, please open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to continue with our introduction uh, to the book of Galatians this morning. Galatians chapter 6. And I want to read for you verses 14 and 15. Galatians 6, 14 and 15. Hear the word of God. The Apostle Paul writes to the churches of Galatia, but far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Our God in heaven, we have not gathered here so that we might hear the words of men. We're exhausted, tired, unquiet because of the words of men. Today we have come to hear the word of God from the Jerusalem that is above, that is our mother. The Lord Jesus speak to us from his throne so that we might receive what the churches of Galatia received, the word from heaven come to earth. And so by your spirit, may that be accomplished among us today, leaving us never the same again because of what we have encountered even now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last Lord's Day, we took a pastoral look at uh, the letter to the uh, Galatians. We saw the pastoral reason why Paul wrote this letter at all. And today we want to look at the new way that Paul sees everything. And this is important. We're going to look at the new way that Paul sees everything because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. According to the Apostle Paul, everything changes. Everything changes because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because Paul sees everything through the death and resurrection of Jesus, he now has new eyes. And by faith, he sees everything differently. And so the Galatians must now come to see the way that Paul sees. And we also must come to see the way that Paul sees. Paul could no longer live his life as if the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ didn't take place. We cannot live our lives as if the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ never happened. Because the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ did happen, it changed everything, and everything will be changed and continues to be changed because of those very events. And so it's important for us to get on board with what the Apostle Paul is communicating here. Notice what Paul says in verse 14 of chapter 6. I'm not going to boast in anything, he says, far be it for me to boast except in one place. 
And that boasting is going to be in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ because something has happened in the world because of the cross and then something has happened to me as I have been brought into union with Jesus Christ and his cross. I have a new relationship to the world now because I've been brought into what Jesus has done. And look at what he says. He says, by which the world has been crucified to me. And when Paul is using the word, word world here, as we read through the book of Galatians, he's using the world in two ways, and this is important. He has brought two things together that encompass the world. And we have to get it out of our minds that somehow Paul is this dualist that believes that trees are bad, dirt is bad, waves are bad, and burritos are bad. That is not the case. The cosmos is good. That's not what he means by world here. What he has been crucified to and what has been crucified to him, Paul is using world here in a technical way to refer to two things. The first is the fallen reign of the first Adam in which the world has been subject to Satan, sin, and death. Paul was enslaved to the world of Satan. Paul was enslaved to the world of sin. Paul was enslaved to the world of death. Paul was enslaved to the world of the fallen reign of the first Adam. But he no longer is because the last Adam has come and has done something about that first world through his death and resurrection. Secondly, it also refers to the temporary world of the Sinai Torah, that wall of separation between Jew and Gentile that, as Chris read this morning, concentrated sin upon Israel and led to curse bearing. Paul is also no longer under that world either. So the world of sin and the world of law, Paul is no longer bound to that world. And look at the way he says it. The world has been crucified to me. So now Adam's world and the world of Sinai no longer has a claim on me, Paul says. No longer has ownership over me. And he says, not only has the world been crucified to me, but I have been crucified to the world. So not only does the world not have a claim on me, because now Christ has claimed me, I no longer have any allegiance to the world, and I no longer have any allegiance to Torah as it is conceived. I owe it nothing. I have an allegiance to something else now. The cross and resurrection of Christ have made a definitive break with that world and brought me, the Apostle Paul, and all who belong to Jesus into a new world. So that now what matters, Paul says, it doesn't matter whether you were under the law like the Jews were or whether you were in the world like the Gentiles were. Look at what he says in verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything. Torah, temporary or uncircumcision, the world of Adam, what counts is new creation. A new creation has come through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that new creation brings with it five new things that Paul now sees. And in a rare event in history, I actually provided like five questions for you on a sheet of paper in the back. That never happens, but I did. Uh, and that's what we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks. Um, five new ways that Paul sees that, that the Galatians must come to see and that we must come to see has happened because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the first way in which everything is new is that there is a new Creation. Notice that Paul ends his, the letter in chapter 6 by saying this. 
Circumcision counts for nothing, nor uncircumcision. None of that matters. But new creation. New creation. Now walk back with me to chapter 1 and verse 6. Because as Paul begins the letter, he ends the letter, but he phrases it in a particular way. Look at what he says in chapter 1 and verse 4, okay? Chapter 1 and verse 4, Paul, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, said, who gave himself for our sins, watch this, to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God. So the present evil age and world in Galatians are the same thing. The present evil age is governed by that fallen world of Adam, of Satan, sin, and death, and the world of Torah that concentrates sin on Israel and is a wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. And what Paul is saying is that Jesus has come to deliver us out of that world and bring us into the new creation. Now we have to understand that the new creation is what the whole and the entire Old Testament has been aching for. It's been longing for. The prophets have spoke of it. But if you were a first century Jew, you believed that that new creation was always going to be in the future after some cataclysmic event. What is actually new about this is that Paul is saying this, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the new creation that we anticipated that was only going to be in the future has come out of the future through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and has broken in to the present evil age. So that right now we live in a world, right now we live in a kingdom, right now we live in a creation, listen, that is inhabited by both of these realms, the already of the new creation and the not yet, the present evil order is still fighting on its last Legs, But what we have to believe as God's people is that the new age, the new creation promised in Scripture has broken in and overlaps with the present evil age. These things overlap together. And, the re and as they overlap together, that is why you feel such a tension, you see. That is why existentially you feel such a tension and why there's this cosmic groaning taking place in the cosmos and why there is a groaning in your own person and why there is a groaning in the church. Why all things groan is because the new creation has broken into the old creation overlapped, they're dwelling together at the same time, and it creates this mighty tension, this hostility, this opposition that exists in the world now. And I want you to look at that for a moment. Look at chapter 5 and verse 17. Paul uses this language. Chapter 5, verse 17. Look at what Paul says. So flesh, by the way, again, flesh does not mean your fingers, your toes, your eyeballs, your elbows, okay? Flesh in the Bible, in Paul's letters, is, is shorthand. It's a technical jargon, technical language for the old world in Adam, for the way we were when we were under Satan's sin and death. Okay, when we were under the disorder and the chaos of cosmic forces, when we were enslaved. 
to them. So please understand that. Okay, look back. Before we look at 517, just look with me at 4.3 real quick. 4.3 so that you can get this. Okay, so you understand. So Paul is not saying that your body is bad and your soul is good. Paul is saying that, that there was a way of being in the world in Adam that was destructive and chaotic and led away from God and, and kept us bound in slavery. And that what Jesus has done is he's come to bring us out of that into freedom, you see. So chapter 4, verse 3, Paul says this, In the same way, we were also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Okay? Again, that old world, that Adamic world connected with the Sinai world that has as its way of living flesh. Okay? Flesh, not body, but flesh, fallen life, okay? But then Paul says this in 5.17, because this new world has broken into the old, because the new creation has broken into the present evil age, here's the tension now, okay? Verse 17 of chapter 5, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, okay? We're going to learn a little bit more about the Holy Spirit in a couple of minutes, but you have the, the world of flesh against the world of the spirit. The desires of the flesh are against the desires of the spirit. They're against each other, okay? They are not friends, okay? They are not friends. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. Again, they are not friends. Look at what, now, what the rest of the verse says. For these are opposed to each other. The new creation is opposed to the present evil age. And the present evil age is opposed to the new creation. They are against each other. They are in opposition to one another. Which is why those who are not a part of the new creation, why does it look like unbelievers just are living merrily all the way through their life of sin, Satan, and death? Because they don't know this tension. Because they're not a part of this overlap. They don't live as new creations in the opposition against the old age, you see. They're happily, merrily living foolishly in the old world. You see, merrily they go without the tension. You say, why is the Christian life so hard? Because the tension concentrates on us, you see. Notice what he says. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. And these are opposed to each other. They are in a, do they're in a battle. Why? To keep you from doing the things that you want to do, you see. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say these are equal forces and you have two dogs in you if you feed one. No, 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 no. That's, that's all heretical nonsense. This is you are a new creation. Still in the overlap of the ages and the old world still is fighting to keep you from doing what you want to do. The assumption is you want to do new creation stuff, you see. That's the tension. You want to do new creation stuff, and then when you go to do it, there's opposition. When you go to do it, there's attack. When you go to do it, there's fight, you see. But this is the world that we are living in. But it's temporary, okay? The death blow dealt to the world of sin, Satan, death, and Torah by Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection is someday going to give way to the final full new heavens and new earth in the resurrection. That is a guarantee that is going to happen. This new creation that Jesus has brought, a world of righteousness, freedom, life, and adoption is ours now. Okay? We live in it now. But in the now and the not yet. 
So that's why there's this tension. So the church, we, the body of Christ, we are now in Christ, okay? We are now in Christ. And what that means, church, listen, this is so important. It means as in Christ, we are part of the new creation. Paul says, behold, if any man is in Christ, lo, there's the new creation. If you see a man in Christ, you go, there's the new creation, walking around. Look at that new creation. It's singing. Look at that new creation. It's loving its wife. Look at that new creation. It's bringing up its children. Look at that new creation, right? Wherever we find one in Christ, behold, new creation has happened. Righteousness, freedom, life, and adoption, but also the tension and the battle, which means this. This is so vital for us to understand. It means that the church of Jesus Christ is an advance on the future. You understand that? We are an advance on the future. We are the outpost of the future in the present. The church is Christ's theater to put on display the future creation in the present for the sake of the world. You see, that's what we're called to. That's who we are. And the issue is not, we don't have to try to be this. We already are this. The issue is will we live up to who we are in Jesus, you see. That's the issue. The issue is will we live up to the new creation that we already are? Will we put on display as the theater for the drama of the gospel? Will the church put on display for the world a faithful enactment of new creation? Because we are the only place on earth where that outpost is, the body of Christ, the church, you see. That's how important the life of the church is. This is why church can never be the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, fiftieth thing in your life. Because the church is the first thing that Jesus is doing, so the church is the first thing that you're doing, because it's the first thing that you are, you see. Secondly, that brings us to the newness of the Spirit. Okay, so Paul talks about this here already in chapter 5, verse 17. This new creation leads us to an understanding that there's a newness of the Spirit that is connected to this new creation. In many ways, we could actually say, church, that the book of Galatians is a letter of the Holy Spirit. It really is. Um, Just look with me. I'll survey this. Chapter 5, verse 16, Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit. Chapter 5, verse 22. Okay, by the way, we're entering into two of my greatest pastoral pet peeves. If you commit them, I will pray for temporary discipline in your life. Temporary. Temporary but nevertheless, like a little swat. It is not and has never been and never will be the fruits of the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. If you say fruits, God will deal with you. It is singular fruit. And then my, you want to know my second pet peeve so you never break it? Never say Psalms 1 or Psalms 2. 
It's not Psalms 1. It's Psalm 1. It's Psalm 2. If you want to talk about all of the Psalms, you call them the Psalter, right? The Psalms, the book of Psalms. But Psalm 1 is not Psalms 1. It's Psalm 1. Okay, there you go. So don't, if, if you, and you watch, whoever's reading scripture next week is going to come up and say, open to Psalms 68, right? You watch, it. Uh, it's going to happen, all right? So, so here we are. So again, but I digress, as Doug Bookman would say at Masters, all right? Notice it is the fruit of the Spirit, okay? So we walk by the Spirit, we bear the fruit of the Spirit, drop down to verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, which means we have life by the Spirit, verse 25, let us also walk by the Spirit, chapter 6, 8 says, let us sow to the Spirit. In other words, we, are, we as God's people, we are living Spirit lives, okay? Spirit lives. We walk by the Spirit, we bear the fruit of the Spirit, we live by the Spirit, we sow to the Spirit, we live Spirit lives as God's people. But there's a newness to this, and it's very important that you understand this. There's a newness to this. Not that there's a newness to the person of the Spirit, but there's a newness to the way in which the Spirit works in the new covenant, and this is very important, okay? Notice how the Spirit is spoken of in chapter 4 and verse 6. And this is extremely important. In chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says this, and because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit, watch this, of His Son into your hearts. Now, we're used to hearing God has sent the Spirit into your hearts. We're used to that. What we drop off, which changes everything if we miss it, is that it's the Spirit of the Son into your hearts. Okay? What does this mean? This means that the Spirit of God, as He is coming to you, this is absolutely vital, He is actually coming to you from the future. See, our movies have nothing on the Bible, okay? Okay? We can go back to the future in the movies, but we're coming from the future into the present right here, uh, and that's, this is the real deal, okay? For the Spirit to be the Spirit of the Son means that, the, that God the Father is sending the Son from the Spirit from where the, where the Son is in His resurrection. The only one who has entered into our future is Jesus. I have to tell my kids this all the time at Beacon Hill. When someone dies in Christ, they do not enter into the final part of their future. Their body goes in the ground, their soul goes into heaven, and they await the final resurrection, which is our future is being raised. The only person who has actually entered into our future, who resides in our future, who bears our future, is Jesus Christ. He is the only resurrected one from the dead who has entered into his glorious life. And the Spirit comes to us from him, which means what the Spirit is doing is he is bringing the eternal life and the resurrection life of Jesus from the future with the new creation into the present and bringing it into you and bringing you into it. Listen to what Sinclair Ferguson says. This is very important. Listen to what Sinclair Ferguson says in his book on the Holy Spirit. He says, for the Bible... The fullness of the Spirit belongs to the future age, not the present. Now listen, what is given to us now 
is the spirit who rightly belongs to the future. Already the spirit enables believers to experience the life of the future in the present, you see. This is absolutely vital. It is the spirit of the Son of God who has come from our future into the present, and he has brought with him the life of the future into the present, and it dwells in us, and we dwell in it, and which means we are ourselves icons of the future in the present, you see. And we have, because we have the spirit of the Son in us, and what this means, and this is so important, this is where the fruit of the spirit comes into play, not the fruits of the spirit, okay? What it means is this, what you will be fully in the resurrection, what you and I will be fully in the resurrection, we are partly that now, you see. Which means every time you and I bear the fruit of love now, we are bearing now what we will bear fully and finally and truly and forever in the future. So your love right now, your Christian love, is actually providing fruit from the, from the future in the present for others to feed on, you see. Not just any fruit, but fruit from the future. Your love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. All of that fruit of the Spirit is not the generic fruit of the third person of the Trinity. It is the new creation fruit of the, Spirit of, the, of the Spirit of the Son brought forward into this creation so that the fruit from the future might be here now for others to feed on and for others to see what the life of the future is going to be like. That is why I said the church is the theater of the future in the present. The church is the trailer, okay? The church is the trailer of what the future is going to be. And so as the church, when we love one another, we are showing the world what the new heavens and the new earth are going to be like now. We are saying this love, this self-sacrificial, laying down your life, love for one another that the church enacts right now is what everybody will be living in the new heavens and the new earth fully and finally and completely and beautifully. The joy that we have now is a joy that we have partially now, but it will give way to a full, final, complete, and amazing joy then, but it is the joy of the future and the present. That's why unbelievers are mystified by it. And I could go on. So every single facet of the fruit of the Spirit is now in part here what it will be fully and finally there then, but the only place that fruit is found are in the trees of the church, the trees of Zion, the trees of Mother Jerusalem. In other words, on you, you see. You are a tree that bears the fruit of the future in the present for the life of one another, you see. All that your fruit does for you, listen, this is very important. All that the fruit you bear in your life does for you is it reveals that your tree is good, okay? The right, we've said this before and I'll say it again. The avocado trees in my backyard don't bear avocados for themselves. They bear them for us so that we could have El Rio guacamole. That's why, okay? But, but if I have healthy 
avocados on my tree, it means that my tree is healthy. But the fruit is not for the tree. The fruit is for the, for the guacamole. So this is what we have to see. You and I are the only people in the world that can provide the fruit of the future in the present for one another in the world. Our world is dying for transcendent love. Our world is dying for true joy. Our world is faithless, is in desperate need of faithfulness. Our cancel culture is cutthroat and is in need of gentleness. Where is it going to come from if it doesn't come out of the life of the Spirit animating God's people in the church? You see, but this, Paul is saying this is what the Spirit does when he comes and brings new creation. Then lastly this morning, that leads to a new Jerusalem, okay, a new Jerusalem. So the new creation that leads to a newness of the Spirit leads to a new Jerusalem. And so I just, we'll, we'll look at this quickly. Uh, look with me in chapter 4 verses 21 through 26, and I'll make a few comments on this. This is important. This is, look at what Paul says in 421. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you listen to the law? So Paul is dealing with the law here. And so he's going to tie the Jerusalem that was existing at that time, the earthly Jerusalem, where the sacrifices took place, where the priests did their work. This is pre-AD 70. This book is probably written somewhere between 48 and 50 AD. So we're 20 years out from the destruction of the temple. So the temple is still standing and still doing its business. And so Paul says in verse 21, tell me you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through the promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. She is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. Now watch this. And she is our mother. This is one of the most underappreciated verses in all of the Bible. That the Jerusalem above, the heavenly Jerusalem, is free and she is our mother. What Paul wants us to do now, and stay with me for about the next 10 minutes, what Paul is doing here is he's bringing in the importance of the heavenly world and how it bears on our life now, okay? He's bringing in the importance of the unseen realm and the unseen world, the world that we see by faith alone, okay? That which we do not see with our eyes right now, but the heavenly realm that we see by faith, that we trust exists by faith because God's word tells us it does. And he's telling us how, how great a bearing the unseen Jerusalem our mother has on our lives now. And he says in, in this that there are two Jerusalems. There's an earthly Jerusalem, verse 25, the earthly Jerusalem where the temple is. And then there's a heavenly Jerusalem who above is free. The earthly Jerusalem, Paul says, is the present Jerusalem where the sacrifices take place. It is connected to law, verse 21. And the people who are connected to that temple, that that is their world, they are in slavery. Okay, They are slave 
children. The end of verse 25 says, she, the earthly Jerusalem, with all, of the, all that takes place there with her ceremonies and life, she is in slavery, Jerusalem is in slavery, as are her children. So Paul is saying, why do you want to go back under the law? Because it's just slavery, okay? There's no freedom. Paul says it belongs to the temporary fleshly world, verse 23, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, and it's a temporary covenant. Verse 24, now these may be interpreted allegorically, these women are two covenants. So why would you want to go back to the law and the sacrifices and the ceremonies of the law? Because it's a place of slavery. It was temporary. It was never intended to abide. It was fulfilling a, a purpose in history that was simply temporary to get us somewhere ultimately to Jesus. And it's a part of the present evil order. Why do you want to go to that? But then he says this, there's also a heavenly Jerusalem. Notice verse 23, it says the heavenly Jerusalem is connected to a promise, okay? Into verse 23, the son of the free woman was born through promise. Verse 24, it's a, it's a new covenant. There are two covenants, okay? One of slavery, one new of freedom. Verse 22 and verse 26 tells us that this Jerusalem above is free. Verse 22, it says one by the free woman. So there's two Jerusalems. One is a place of slavery, a place of ceremony, and was temporary and has no reason to exist anymore. It's not in God's eschatological plans for the earthly Jerusalem at all. But then there's this other one that was always a part of the promise that the earthly one was to give way to and pointed to all along, a new promise, a new covenant, and a new freedom. And what Paul tells us, listen, beloved, what Paul tells us, church, is that those who are in Christ, we already belong to this heavenly Jerusalem. It's already our home. And I want you to notice the language that he uses. Look closely. The Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. What this means is that your motherland, okay, your motherland, your commonwealth, your ultimate government is the heavenly Jerusalem. She is your mother. This is your motherland. And you see, what's important about this, what's vital about this, is that that land, the motherland, the heavenly Jerusalem, has our ultimate allegiance because that's where our citizenship is. Which means the heavenly Jerusalem is where our ultimate citizenship is. Every other citizenship on the earth is secondary to the citizenship and the motherland that is our Jerusalem. Our ultimate allegiance is to no earthly political sphere. It is to the heavenly Jerusalem. The Jerusalem above who is our mother. She has our ultimate allegiance. She has our, our life. She, we commit everything to her because that is where our citizenship is. She defines our life and she has our allegiance and she is free and so are you because that is your true land. You guys understand this? That's your allegiance. That's your home. That's, and what, you, what we do is we live out the citizenship of the motherland of the heavenly Jerusalem, we live that citizenship out on earth, you see. 
We take our cues from there, our allegiance is there, our hope is there, our Lord is there, everything is there, and we live from there here. And we live here as citizens of there. And we put our citizenship of there, we put it on display here. And the fundamental thing that is true about our citizenship in heaven is that it brings us a freedom that nothing on earth can take from us. You, do you guys understand that the citizenship and the freedom that we have in this heavenly Jerusalem in Christ, it doesn't matter if it's guaranteed by an earthly constitution. It doesn't matter if it has state approval. It doesn't need Caesar to sign off on it. Do you understand that? Now I'm going to get in real trouble. In order for you to be free in the biblical sense, you don't have to move to Idaho or Florida or Texas. Now, God may call you there, and if he does, so be it. But this idea that in order to be a free people, we have to, uh, we can't live it in Cali. Listen, foolishness. Because your ultimate citizenship is not here. It's there. And that motherland is and always will be free. And there's no Caesar, no Newsom, no mandate, no law can ever, ever impinge upon the freedom that you have as a citizen of Mother Jerusalem. You can live that freedom in a prison. You can live it in a cave. You can live it on a mountain. You can live it in a valley. You can live it in Ventura County. And you can live it in Idaho. And you can live it in Texas. And you can live it in Florida. And you want to know why you can live it anywhere? Because it's a different kind of freedom. It's a different kind of freedom. What kind of freedom is it? Look at chapter 5 and verse 13. For you were called to freedom, Paul says. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Guess what, guys? Your freedom that is granted to you and your citizenship in the mother Jerusalem is not about you. It's not about you. See, that's our problem. We think our freedom is freedom for us. It's not. It's not, it's not for an opportunity for the flesh. But look at what Paul says. You have freedom so that through love, you can serve one another. See, nothing, there's nothing that any earthly government, and there's nothing that any location can, there's nothing there that can ever take this away. Doesn't matter where you are, you are free. And it doesn't matter where you are, you can freely do this. You can serve one another through love. And you want to know, you say, but I feel so weak. I feel like I don't have love to serve. 
Well, that's why we have the Lord's Supper. Because it's every single Sunday, what Jesus does is he says this, before I send you out to serve through love, before I send you out to live out your citizenship of heaven on earth, I serve you first. I feed you first. I fill you first. You see? And I serve you here at this table. And by the way, and when you all come to this table passing the peace, that's the first enactment of your serving one another through love before you go out in the world and do it. That's why we take that passing the peace so seriously. Because you are enacting the first act of receiving love from Christ and fullness from Christ and then you're giving it to someone right away and what that does is that shapes you and that patterns you to continue that pattern as you go out and as we do this weekly it shapes us into a community where we truly put on display and are that theater of the new creation for the glory of God so today come come to the table amen our God in heaven seal this word unto us for the glory of your name Take anything that I misspoke, strike it from the record, leave all of your word here on our souls. In Jesus' name we pray.